Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Anchor Point Church Online. This is uh, Sunday, April the 18th, and my name is Klaus Decker, and I'd like to welcome you to our church service this morning, the Ministry of the Word. Um, I trust that you're going to be uh, ministered to. God is speaking in the midst of these very trying times, and of course, we're in the midst of lockdown here in Ontario because of COVID, but uh, better things are ahead. There's no question about it. This too shall pass. It seems like it's lasting forever, but it won't. Um, the only thing that's forever is God and eternal life in him. So we're grateful for that. Amen. Um, this morning, if uh, you're tuning in for the very first time, we want to welcome you. We trust that you'll be ministered to and that the word of the Lord will be effective in your life. May you have ears to hear and hearts to open up to understand what God is speaking in these days. And if you've been away for a while and you're just kind of tuning back in for the first time in a while, welcome back. And the same things apply to you. We trust that you'll be ministered to this morning as well. Uh, if you've, uh, I want to say thank you to all those who have continued to contribute to the work at Anchor Point uh, Church, the, the Lord's work financially. And if you'd like to contribute, you can certainly do that. And the way to do that is by e-transfer, ideally. And you can address it to AP Alliston, giving at apalliston.com. So let's now just sit back, open your hearts, open your minds, open your Bibles to what God is going to speak. And I trust you'll be challenged and you'll be blessed by the word of the Lord today. God bless you. Good morning, Anchor Point family. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 20. Hey, good morning, guys. What's up? I'm Tom, if I've not met you, and I'm really glad that you're here with us. And we're coming to the close of our study in Ephesians, and also we're running out of text in Ephesians. So we're coming to the end of this letter. And I thought it would be a good idea before we dive into our teaching text for today to kind of just take a sec and zoom out and think about the worldview that the listeners of this letter would have had at the time. So we have to remember that um, the words that we're reading are informed by the narrative of Scripture. 
Okay, so remember the Bible is one unified story that points us to Jesus. Or you could say it another way that the story of the Bible is the story of heaven on earth being ripped apart into heaven and earth and God's glorious mission to reunite these two realms once again. And so Paul's audience or the listeners to this letter, they would have had this worldview in mind. But not only that, they would have had a worldview that allowed for this whole idea of spiritual, the spiritual world, that 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 narrative of heaven and earth being reunited was playing out in both the material and immaterial world. So it was playing out here on earth, but also in the spiritual world. So now you may hear this and you might, you know, your eyes might be rolling already. You might be thinking this whole notion of a spiritual world or maybe even spiritual warfare on top of that is just completely trite and hokey. Maybe you grew up in the 90s like I did and you had to watch Carmen videos Remember Satan Bites the Dust, anyone? If you haven't seen it, don't don't waste your time. But what, what am I getting at? I, I want us to think and, and realize before we get into this that, and know this, there is a real battle going on. There really is a good and there really is an evil. There's a kingdom of light where Jesus rules and reigns and there's a kingdom of darkness where Satan is doing everything he can to keep us as humans from the with God life. There is a cosmic battle happening, and you and I, we are the battleground. These kingdoms are diametrically opposed to one another. Think about Jesus' words recorded in John 10.10. 10. He says this, The thief, or Satan, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And C.S. Lewis wrote this great book called Paralandra, and there's this Satan-like character, this unhuman named Weston, and he says, Listen, I have come to give you death and death abundantly. But so the thief... Or in Weston's example, they, they're after just seek, seeking out to kill and destroy everything that they can. But Jesus and the kingdom of light is, is, is one that has come to give us life and life to the full. Diametrically opposed to one another. And we don't have time today to go through a whole breakdown of the spiritual realm and world or spiritual beings. But to start, I want to challenge us to take this seriously. Take this seriously. This isn't some hypothetical enemy we have, but there really truly is one who is dead set against us. There is a real personal evil, Satan and his demons. But moreover, moreover, guys, there is a stronger one who is so for us that he came and won us back from the kingdom of darkness to the giving of his own life. He is victorious. He is ruling. He is reigning. He is Jesus. There is a real personal God. The words in Paul's letter would have been heard with this worldview held by his audience, with his listeners. So I don't only want to draw our attention to the worldview, but also the method and context in which this would have been heard. Remember, this is a letter that would have been read in one sitting. And we've taken like the better part of 15 weeks to go through this letter. And we could maybe have forgotten what Paul said, you know, in chapter one, but the, remember, these guys are sitting there with their rapt attention, listening to every word that Paul would have had written. So I want to give us just a quick rundown of the greatest hits from Ephesians so far. So let's just listen up to these. So God has an eternal plan to reunite heaven and earth. He wants a family with you in it. Uh, he has exalted Jesus as the victorious one. Jesus paid the price to redeem us and free us from the kingdom of darkness. We've been resurrected as the new humanity. We've been given a new identity in Christ. We are to put on that new identity every single day. How this is lived out plays out in our as husbands and wives, parents and children, bosses and employees, or in other words, the gospel affects everything. Or in other words, Jesus is making 
all things new. So here's the deal. As we live out the gospel in our new identity, we have to know that there is most certainly going to be opposition. You see, the enemy hates that he's losing not only the battle, but also his own image bearers or those who bear his likeness. And we have to remember, too, as we as we step into the gospel reality and we live out our new identity, that Jesus said this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So as we progress into the reality of Christianity being a spiritual battle, I want to remind us of three things. Number one, we've already been rescued by God. Number two, we've been given a new identity in Christ. And number three, Jesus has won the decisive victory as God has placed all things under his feet. Hallelujah. So with all that in mind, let's dive into the text for today. The first thing we want to think about is this, the reality, the struggle is real, guys. So let's read verse 10 and 11 together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So Paul starts off right here. He's coming, like we said in the beginning, he's, he's concluding his thoughts here in the letter. But one way to translate this word, finally, is, is for the remaining time. As we step into this and live this out for the remaining time that you have on this earth, or one way to think about that is the time between Jesus' two, two comings. So the time between Jesus coming on earth and coming again, his second coming, the, that time is going to be marked by conflict. So for the remaining time until Jesus returns, it's going to be marked by conflict, right? He's reminding us of this story, or not even just the story, the reality that we live in a spiritual battle. So that's how he starts. Then he goes on, be strong in the Lord. And I don't know about you, if, when I hear that, I think, okay, I got to just muster up some energy. I feel like I'm all alone. But the good news, one, one translator puts it this way, be strengthened, y'all. Okay, be strengthened, y'all. And that's good news for two reasons. Number one, he's saying be strong in the Lord. And that means that we are to tap into God's strength, not our own strength. If I think about taking on the spiritual forces that are opposing me in my own strength, that is terrifying. But if I think about it, okay, I need to tap into a God who is already victorious over this enemy. It's a different story. So we're to be strong in the Lord's strength. Another way to think about that is we have to be abiding in the vine and realize that he is the only source of all the power that we need. So not only is he the source, but he also has more than we could ever ask or imagine. And the second thing in that phrase that's good news is that spiritual warfare is a team sport, not an individual sport. So be strengthened, tap into God's strength, y'all, all of us together. You're not alone in this spiritual battle. But why are we called to put on armor? Why would you put on armor? Because you're in a battle. Otherwise, I mean, maybe you're into like reenacting medieval stuff, but I mean, that's a whole other deal. But you are called to put on armor because you are in a battle. We are in a battle together. And as we do, as we do this, what we're actually putting on, this is again, Paul hearkening back to what he's been talking about in this whole letter is we're putting on Christ. We're walking out our new identity. We're becoming who we are in Jesus as we put on this armor of God. And the other thing he's calling us to be strengthened in this is to get on the offensive, right? Jesus has already won the decisive victory. We are on the offensive now. We are pushing back darkness. So get on the offensive, or in other words, we fight from victory, not for victory. 
Okay. So that's, that's how Paul is starting off this part of the letter. Then he goes to talk about who, who it is we're actually fighting. Who is our foe? So let's read this. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So who are we up against? First of all, not one another. Okay? Humani humanity, other people that maybe you're, you're thinking about, okay, th that person is my enemy. The reality is that they're not really your enemy. Okay? Not one another. We have to get that settled in our heart. Your enemy is probably not who you think it is. We have to realize that our enemy, Satan, and his minions, his the, the demonic forces that he partners with, they are defeated in Jesus. Like we talked about this at the, a couple weeks ago on Easter, that Jesus triumphed over them on the cross. So there is a decisive victory that has taken place. But just like um, in World War II, when, when some pilots would get hit from um, Japan, what they would do is they would, it, would, it would be called kamikaze. So they were, they were hit. They knew their, their, their fate had come. They're, they were doomed. And so on their way out, they tried to take out as many people as possible. They tried to wreak as much damage as possible as they're on their way out. I was having a conversation this week with one of my kids about this very topic, and they were asking about something like this, and so I, I, I decided to talk to them about it this way. I said, you know what it's like? It's, it's like Satan's getting sent to his room for eternity, and we're, we're living through him throwing the temper tantrum from down, being downstairs in the kitchen to going upstairs to his bedroom for eternity. And he's trying to knock out and break stuff and yell at everyone and call everyone names and you know just cause as much havoc and death and destruction and more darkness to come on his way out. So we have to remember that our foe is defeated. We have to realize that the way that the, the, the kingdom of darkness works is through deception, through accusation, and through temptation. And they work tirelessly against God's will in humanity and the cosmos. They are powerful, they are wicked, and they are cunning. So the struggle is real. We have a real foe. But what are we supposed to wear to a war? What do we wear? So this is, this is where Paul goes on. He says this, Therefore, you have an enemy, you're in a spiritual battle, but remember you're going to be strengthened, you're going to be putting on God's armor, you're going to be putting on Christ. But you want to take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I've never been in a battle before, but I think, you know, as, as, as someone who maybe works for the army back in the day, they, as they're developing armor, they're going to be thinking about what are the attack points typically? Where would you, where are you vulnerable? How does the enemy, you know, in past experiences, what do they go after? What weapons do they have? And let's make some armor that will protect us accordingly. So when we're thinking through the, the, this metaphor of the armor of God, think about it this way, that, that armor indicates the attack points that the enemy is going after. So he starts with the belt of truth. And this is a, maybe a funny picture, but most people back in the day, they would have worn some type of toga type deal. And the first thing they would do, men and women, which they, if they were going to try to become more agile, they would have had to rope off or tie off that huge you know, garment. I don't know. I don't have any experience with togas. 
to, to, to ready yourself for battle, to be ready to go, to be able to move with more agility and freedom. And it also held up your undergarments. So what we want to think about, okay, the attack point is that Satan's going to go after first and foremost is this whole idea of honesty and sincerity and integrity. Satan's going to deceive you and accuse you and call you into this battle of, okay, do I really want to be honest? Is it safe to be honest? Because Satan wants to destroy the witness of the church by causing us to live lives of dishonesty and hypocrisy. Remember, he's defeated. He's trying to take everyone down with him. And so he's like, how can I make it make them feel not safe to, to be honest? How can I under, make undermine this whole idea of vulnerability? And it's, it's a good thing to be open and honest. We have to remember that Satan is the father of all lies. And as followers of Jesus, we are ones who have received grace from Jesus, forgiveness from Jesus. There's this safety to be honest. And the reality is, is we're not called to be perfect. There was only one perfect one, Jesus, and he shared his perfection with us. We will never be perfect. And this gives us the freedom to say, I suck in this way or that way, but God is good and he loves me, he forgives me. The gospel allows us to be honest. Tim Keller puts it this way, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at this very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. It's a good way of, of summarizing the gospel. So the first thing is, guys, unless we learn to live lives of honesty, integrity, and sincerity, we will get caught with our pants down. The first thing we put on is the belt of truth. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is this big piece of armor that would cover your heart and all your vital organs. And this is us, we have, you know, we've talked about this already, but this is this whole idea of putting on Christ, putting on our new identity, uh, being dressed in his perfection and his robes. This is that new self that we put on. And the reality is, is more often than not, I don't feel like I'm hidden in Christ. I don't feel like I'm, I look like Jesus. I feel like my robes are dirty and I'm just, I'm a mess. And I feel that. And the, the thing that Satan goes after here is that he wants us to live off our feelings rather than the facts. He wants us to, to, to just dismiss this whole idea that I actually am hidden in Christ. I'm forgiven. You are forgiven no matter what you did, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do. He's chosen you. All the good news that you've been hearing the last few weeks. But we don't always feel like that's true. And so Satan's going to go after that. He's going to continually be, be trying to pull us into that, that untruth that we aren't accepted, that we aren't loved, that he can't really forgive that, or they're dressed in Christ-likeness, but you're not. But here's the good news, guys. We are hidden in Christ now. We are accepted and loved. We couldn't be any more accepted than we are. We couldn't be any more loved than we are. Whether we feel like it or not, it's true because it's true. The next thing is shoes of peace. Think about how good news would have been transferred back in the day, or, or not transferred, would have been shared back in the day. Uh, if, if say it was from the town next door, it wouldn't have been like a text quickly, right? Someone would have had to actually run and proclaim the good news to the town over. And so there's this whole idea and notion of being ready to go and speak the good news at all times of what Jesus has done, that he has defeated Satan, that he has made a way back to the with God life. And if only we'd be willing to accept him as Lord and Savior, we could live life with him again. And so there's this whole idea of being ready to share the good news to all the world of what Jesus has done. 
Satan, you see, he hates the good news of the gospel because it's God's power to rescue people from his tyranny. And so are we ready to share the good news that Jesus has defeated the enemy and made a way for us to live life with God once again? Are we ready? Or are we kind of on our laurels, kind of sitting back like, well, I mean, they'll know if they, I mean, oh, I don't know, whatever. The third thing, or the fourth thing, he goes on, a shield of faith. So the shield that, that um, Paul is referring here to is a huge shield. It's like three and a half feet tall. And these shields were covered with animal skins and leather, and they were bound with iron. They're, I don't know if you guys have ever seen those movies where like um, soldiers would kind of group together, and they're all their their shields would actually click together, and it makes almost this completely covered structure of safety. They kind of hook in together, and then they're kind of the the arrows that are shot at them can't penetrate or hit anyone at all. That's the kind of shield he's talking about, and it's cool because P- Paul goes on and talks about these darts and arrows that the enemy throws at us. And that's the whole point of this animal skin design is that they would often soak these shields in water and the, the literal flaming darts of the enemy would hit one of those shields as they're in this, this structure and they would actually be extinguished because the water there had soaked into the animal skin and it would actually put out the flaming dart. Really cool imagery. But what, what Satan does, and I, I'm sure you've experienced this, I experience this regularly, is there's these accusations that come in. He's accusing us constantly. You're not good enough. Why would you do it that way? What's wrong with you? You know, what if they really knew this about you? And then you just, you shrink and you shrink. It's just dart after dart after dart after dart. And these, these accusations is what they are. They inflame our conscience with a false sense of guilt. And so you kind of fall back and you feel shame and you don't engage and you're, you, you kind of don't show up fully with God or with other people. That's one of the, the ways that he does that. The other thing is he all of a sudden there's these unsought out thoughts that pop into your head. Thoughts about doubt or disobedience or rebellion or lustful thoughts or hate, hateful thoughts or fearful thoughts. And in, in times like this, guys, what we do is we as remember spiritual warfare is a team sport. We remind each other about the promises of God. What, how he's been faithful to us before, how, how we share stories with one another and we rally together with faith, believing God is who he says he is. We put our trust in the one who is faithful, even when we are faithless. We're able to, to get through those flaming darts as we circle up together, as we interlock our, our shields together. The, the darts, they're extinguished. They can't, they can't penetrate us like they used to. We lay in that same space of being tempted and those unsought out thoughts that come in. We lay hold of God's power to deliver us from temptation. And the key word here, guys, is we. Don't do this alone. Don't do this alone. He goes on, the helmet of salvation. Um, The helmet signifies whose side of of the war you identify with, whose side of the army you want. And you are with Jesus. You are Jesus's. Um, and here's the reality, guys. For for humans, every battle is won or lost in our mind. Okay? And so Satan, the accuser, what he wants to do is he wants to often lie to us about our salvation. You're not really saved. Why would Jesus save you? You aren't good enough. They're good enough. You're not good enough. Remember what you did last Thursday night? No way he's going to receive. You know, all those thoughts come in. You're accused. You're not really saved. God is not really with you. You aren't really going to be with him. You know, all those things come in. Jesus can't forgive that. Are you really saved? All these thoughts are going. But what what Paul has talked about in other letters is this whole idea of holding every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
What did Jesus do? Jesus came to set you free from the tyranny of the enemy, to bring you back home with him, to forgive you, to clothe you with his righteousness. All the things that we've been learning about, that is what's true. So our minds, guys, are where where so many battles are won or lost. Guard your thoughts. Talk about what's going on in your mind with one another. But just often don't receive every thought that pops into your mind as true. Finally, the sword of the spirit. This is actually a shorter sword used for a close contact battle. And this just harkens back to this whole idea that this is an offensive battle. We're not on the defense. We're on the offense. We're actually pushing back darkness. Uh, The sword of the spirit is literally God's word. Um, and it's, I want us to think about it, that, that there is literally authority in God's word. And this is one of the things that's really in our day and age is coming under so much scrutiny, um, even within the church, this whole progressive movement away from the authority of scripture. And God's word is, all of it, God breathed, is, is for us, for our, ben- for our benefit as we learn to follow the way of Jesus. And what we can't do in this is pick or choose, pick and choose and just dismiss whole bits of, of the scripture because it doesn't feel good or it doesn't feel right. Or well, God wouldn't do that because literally what you're actually saying is God is like me and I wouldn't do that. And I mean, we've all done this, but as we learn to submit ourselves to the authority of scripture, as we allow that parenting of God's spirit and God's word to change us from the inside out, to, to form how we think about all kinds of different things, all things actually, we live in this place where we're actually continually on the offensive with this sword of God's word. We are in that time and age where there's more info than ever before, but what is your source of facts? You know, is it, is it the news or are you going back to this whole truth of there is a real story happening and unfolding that whole heaven on earth, heaven, and that, that thing is really playing out in God's timing. And do we trust him for that? Are we people who are immersed in and obedient to God's word and that beautiful balance of God's word, spirit. Okay, there, there's the armor of God. Paul goes on, he says this, he's, you put on this whole armor of God and then he goes, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul adds prayer not as an additional weapon, but but because it is to pervade all of our spiritual warfare. Putting on the armor of God is in itself an expression of our ongoing dependence on God, or in other words, the means by which we put on the armor of God is through prayer. Prayer and scripture are the two chief weapons which the Spirit put into our hands. So we're to pray in, a, in four different ways. We're to pray at all times, meaning regularly and constantly. I'm, I'm not doing so hot with the constant prayer. I don't know how you guys are doing. With all prayer and supplication, for it takes many types and varied forms of prayer. With all perseverance, because we need to keep alert, not giving up or falling asleep, like Jesus' disciples did. Or for all the saints, for the new humanity, remember, this is a team sport. Okay? So in closing, guys, in all of that, there's only one command. And everything that we're talking about is, is how we fulfill this command that's in this part of the scripture. And this is what Paul says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day 
and having done all, to stand firm. Stand firm. Have any of you guys seen uh, Lord of the Rings? And at the very end, there's a battle at, at Mordor, and Aragorn is holding the troops. Let's say he's the good side and the bad side, the orcs and all the um, Saurons, and I'm getting all their names wrong, but the, the evil ones are coming out. They're all gross looking. And, and he's just saying to, to his side, he's saying, hold, 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 stand firm. And I don't know if you guys have seen Braveheart, the same thing. I'm doing that thing. I think every pastor uses the Braveheart analogy, but um, they're, they're, they're being attacked by England and, and they're there and they're, they're, you just see this army charging at them, horseback and all kinds of stuff. And they're just there with their, their swords on the ground. And he's just yelling, hold, hold, hold. And that's what I just picture Paul saying, guys, remember, we are on the offensive. Hold, the enemy may be coming, you may be terrified, but remember, you are on the victorious side. So that's his charge to us, stand firm. And that's, I want to echo that charge to us as a community right now. Stand firm, guys. Stand firm in the good news of the gospel. We may be completely overwhelmed with this whole idea of spiritual warfare, and you may have weird memories of things that you've seen in the past and i think again like so many things there are two ditches with this whole um practice one would be complete indifference an unwillingness to 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 work through the idea that we actually are in a spiritual battle and the other ditch would be absolute obsession where you go out just demon hunting and looking and everything under every rock is some demonic force but what i'm ca- i'm calling us to the middle and Michael Heiser, who's done all kinds of research and written all kinds of books on the spiritual world specifically, he has this as a summary statement on Ephesians 6. He says, spiritual warfare is about leading a life obedient to Jesus. Huh. Following his obedient example for the cause of God's vision for a kingdom on earth. While not spectacular, adherence to truth and committed discipleship is what constitutes spiritual warfare in New Testament theology. So all those things we were talking about, all of that is tied into what we talk about all the time. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Being obedient disciples is what makes us fit soldiers for Christ. The mission of every Christian is to carry out the Great Commission, the means by which the kingdom of God grows and the kingdom of darkness recedes. Ephesians 6 is about having persevering faith in the gospel and the word of God and living a holy, prayerful life as a follower of Jesus. Who's up for that? Who's up for that? Guys, as as I wrap this up this morning, I want to just take a second to talk to you, my Anchor Point family. I know a lot of us have a lot of different reactions. I'm recording this on Saturday afternoon to the announcement that came on on Friday from, from Doug Ford. Uh, pushing back um, the stay-at-home order for two more weeks and uh, even stricter things with being out and gathering and all that kind of stuff. And I want to just, whatever you're feeling in that, um, I want to just acknowledge that um, there's, a, there's a community of people here for you. That, that we're trying our best to walk out what we just have been learning about today. We want to be there for one another. I know a lot of you guys may feel completely frustrated or don't understand, and or maybe you feel isolated and more alone than you ever have in your entire life. Whatever you may be feeling, we don't have the answers. We don't know why Doug Ford said this or didn't do this or why this is happening, but we do have the good news of Jesus. We do have God's spirit. We do have one another. 
And what we're going to do, guys, over the next four weeks at least, is we're going to actually, as we're, you know, as gatherings are restricted yet again, we're going to really, I, I, we're going to press in to prayer. And this even fits in with, with our scripture this morning. Um, praying at all times in all ways for all people. You know, that whole idea is what we're going to try to be practicing just over this next four weeks specifically, and hopefully that carries on. This is something we've been talking about and sensing maybe as one of these new wineskins that keeps coming up is this whole um, push towards us becoming a people who have a culture of prayer in our community. And so our plan is to this Monday night start again just with Zoom prayer. And each week we're going to have a theme and someone's going to be leading that prayer time. And hopefully we'll be able to have some singing and worship. But we want to welcome anyone who wants to come and join us in that to, to just come. And we want to pray for one another. Whatever you're going through, whatever your thoughts may be, it's not going to be a time to air our grievances and all that kind of stuff. But we just want to come together, remind ourselves, stir up faith. Jesus is Lord. He is good. He is working in this. God is with us. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that God is going to minister to us as we do that together. The last few weeks of our prayer meetings have been incredible. God has been showing up in huge ways, prophetic words and um, people who had nudges on the way in from what they maybe thought was God that ended up being God and all kinds of really amazing, encouraging things happening as we learn that God is actually with us in the middle of this crazy time. And so we want you to know as as our community, that we love you and we're praying for you. I'm speaking on behalf of the elders and our wives and the leadership team and all these people. We, we love you guys. And we haven't seen a lot of you as much as we would have loved to. We want to see you again. But in the middle of that, let's, let's again, let's make the best of what we do have. Let's gather together on Zoom. Let's pray. Let's go after God. Let's fight this spiritual battle together. And let's just rejoice and rest in what God has done for us. A few things I wanted to share just from, from a couple people. Uh, Jesus says at the beginning of Luke 18, man not always to pray and not lose heart. Just again, a call, a call to that prayer time. Remember the gift of God's spirit living inside you and infusing you with grace and peace as you move into whatever you're going to be doing. Klaus shared with us that Luke 18 verse. And so Kevin, from Kevin earlier, I was talking to him. Kevin Butler, Jesus in John 14 says, But the Helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you into remembrance of all that I have said to you. But listen to this, guys. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The words of Jesus. May the grace and peace of Jesus be with you.